Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Again, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We're going to stop right there. He says that we should imitate God. That's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? Imitate God. But watch what he says about it. What should we be imitating about God specifically? He says, as dearly loved children. In other words, you are children of God and you are deeply loved. How do we know that? Well, let's keep reading. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. In other words, we are dearly loved children of God. How do we know? Because God gave us Jesus to show how much he loves us, and Jesus laid down his life for us to show how much he loved us. So as we are dearly loved children of God, we should also imitate God in that way. Now that brings me to two things. Number one, you may not know it, but you are a dearly loved child of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you have, what you don't have, who you love, who you don't love, what you've done, what you haven't done. I don't care about any of those things. However you identify yourself or have been identified by others, you need to know today that you are a dearly and deeply loved child of God. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that even while we were steeped in our worst sin, that's when God gave Jesus to us and Jesus chose to die for us and give his life for us. In the midst of our brokenness, not in the midst of our blessedness, but in the midst of our brokenness. At our worst moment, not our best. It was even then that God loved us and gave his all for us. That's how we know we are dearly and deeply loved children of God. No matter what the church says about you, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what anybody says about you, you are dearly and deeply loved. And, and, and then he says this, we should, not only that, but the second thing is we should imitate that. We should love people the way that God loved us. We should give ourselves for people the way that Jesus gave himself for us. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. If you're claiming to follow Jesus, if you're claiming to love God, then love people. How do you show your love for God? By loving people who were made in his image. And so it reads on, and it says this, starting in verse 3 of chapter 5, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. And this is, this, this is sticky. I'm just going to be honest. This is sticky. And the reason it's sticky is because I don't harp on these things. Like I don't, I don't go after these things or call out these things. And so it's sticky for me to talk about because I do believe God loves us and gives himself for us regardless of the things that we do wrong, especially according to what scripture says, as we just talked about. Yet, here, Paul is writing and says, hey, any sexual immorality should not be something that you guys partake in. Now, remember what he's talking about. You can pause this, watch the previous video as we finished out chapter 4, and that is that these folks were actually, what he's talking about in context, are the people who were practicing sexual immorality as worship to God, like, like obscene things. Remember, we mentioned bestiality, and we mentioned, um, like, 
pedophilia. And we mentioned all these like orgies and things that, that just, they, they were doing it in the temple as an act of worship. They were told this is what they had to do. It was just a gross, disgusting thing that they were, that, that was going on in Ephesus at this temple of, uh, of the sex goddess. And so these Jesus followers who also lived in that arena apparently were kind of back and forth messing in, mixing up who they were with who they are, where they were called out of into who they were called to be. They were trying to mix these things. And we talked last video about you can't do that. That we are to be following Jesus, meaning moving towards something, which means moving away from something else. Not because we're trying to be perfect, by any stretch of the imagination, but because Jesus is trying to make us humans that can change the world and you cannot change a world that you are trying to imitate. Ooh, I feel like I have to say that again. You cannot change a world that you are trying to imitate. But we imitate the one who has already transformed the world. And so he says, this stuff needs to be put away from you. Don't participate in that type of thing. And let's just be honest, right? Let's break it back down into, into the 21st century here. Does it really help you as a person to participate in that, in, in that type of living? You always feel worse after participating in that type of living and, and not better. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you're not a Jesus follower. It doesn't mean that, that you are a terrible person. It simply means that you are not going to be able to transform the world that you are now imitating that you have now paused a moment from pursuing an active following of Jesus in order to follow yourself and your own desires. And so th there's that balance there, but let's keep reading to see what else it says about it, right? It says that we should not practice that, but I don't want to just stay there because it doesn't just say that. And we often want to pull that out and talk about it a lot, but, but I want to keep reading what it says because there's some other things that we don't want to talk about that it talks about there too. It says, but sexual immorality and what else? any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you. Greed should not even be heard of among you. But we want everybody else's business and we want everybody else's social accounts and we want everybody else's church and we want everybody else's car and everybody else's house, everybody else's whatever, family. But that's not something that should be heard of of us. Why? Because we don't have to be greedy for anybody else's anything because everything that's here is temporary and we're not pursuing what I can obtain here and now. We are pursuing something that transcends what my situation looks like. That's what we're chasing after. We're chasing after someone, not something. We're chasing after Jesus and that's who we're following. Greed shouldn't even be heard of among you guys. See, you should already be confident in who you are and who God's made you to be, that you don't need anything else. I have learned to be fully content in any circumstance that I'm in, Paul also writes. And so here, that's kind of what he's talking about, is this stuff should not even be heard among you. Even things that we would see, that we would think are um, unrelated or not going to hurt anybody if I'm a little greedy or envious. And in other words, the opposite of generosity is greed. So I'm keeping and hanging on to things because I'm afraid of losing them. And that's the difference between living with a scarcity mindset of I'm never going to have enough, as opposed to the abundance mindset, 
which Jesus came to deliver. Remember, I came to give you life more abundant. And that's the mindset that we should live with. Meaning, what I have is not mine, but it's mine to freely give because God has way more in abundance that he can entrust to me. So therefore, I can live a generous life instead of having to hang on to every little thing that I get a hold of. And so therefore, I'm a generous person as I follow Jesus because Jesus was generous to me. So I'm going to imitate God and be generous to others. Hey, thanks for your generosity to Fresh Faith. Our ministry partners are what make this happen. They're what make this possible. They're the reason you're able to watch this video right now. Weekly, we hear stories of lives being changed and people's relationship with God being radically transformed because of what God's doing through Fresh Faith. Our ministry partners help us digitally share the message of faith, hope, and love in a relevant and practical way to the world. Now, as a ministry partner, you get exclusive access to resources that no one else has access to to help you grow on your faith journey, as well as a monthly newsletter to keep you updated on everything that's happening through the ministry globally. I want to invite you today to invest in what God is doing through this ministry. Maybe God's touched your life and now he's touching your heart to financially invest in changing someone else's life through this ministry. Would you pray about being a ministry partner of Fresh Faith today? Just go to freshfaith.org slash giving. Thank you for your generosity. Together, we can change the world. And he goes on and he says this. He said, and starting in verse four, obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Now, this is interesting that he contrasts crudeness or obscenity when it comes to the things that we talk about. What is your conversation about? And it almost jumps back to chapter four, verse 29, when, when he said, um, just, just a few verses prior, let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth except what is good to the use of edifying or building up people. In other words, they should feel better walking away from you and feel built up instead of being tore down. And here he says, don't let obscenity or crude joking come out of your mouth. Don't let it be a part of who you are. Instead, give thanks. And it's interesting to me that he contrasts giving thanks with crudeness. Because we don't often do that. We would, we, we, would, we would contrast crudeness with kindness. And, and here he, he contrasts it with gratitude. Which means that the things that do come out of our mouth should be framed with gratitude. About to preach. It's going, all right, I'm just going to preface this real quick. It's going to hurt just for a second. But it's going to hurt me too. And then we'll be encouraged because of what we can see life like, okay? Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we are the most ungrateful, negative people that we'll ever come in contact with. How is the world supposed to want to follow Jesus if they come into contact with me? And all I'm talking about is, woe is me. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. I need a hand out here. I need a hand out there. I'm never going to be enough. Never going to have enough. I tell you, my glass is half empty. The weather's terrible. This is just an awful thing. It's too hot out here. Got the, the Everything's running rampant. These people are mean. Yeah, did you hear what they said? Everybody's against everybody. I tell you, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Like, whatever it might be, we're the most negative people on the planet. Sometimes. Instead, we should be framing things in gratitude. 
Yeah, but encourage somebody. Yeah, someone else is talking to you about something that's negative. Yeah, but here, on the bright side, here's something going great. Or wow, what an opportunity to change a nation. Or, you know, we need this rain. Or yeah, it's cold, but sure makes me thankful for the warmth. Glad I have a fireplace inside or glad I have heat. I don't know, something that's positive. Look at it from the lens of positivity. Why? Because God is in you and he is enough. And if God is enough, then you don't have to be down and out or gloomy about anything in life because you have the creator of the universe on your side, yet you walk and live and speak like you're defeated. All right, now that hurt a little bit, okay? <laughs> Told you it was, gonna hurt a little bit, but let's encourage each other, okay? It, look up. Things will get better. Things have to get better. The one who created it all is in you. You are more than enough. You are more than a conqueror because of Christ. In Christ, you are enough. He's on your side. He's walking before you. He's walking behind you. He is surrounding you. He's with you and he's in you. You can't lose. You've already won. He has overcome the world. We win in the end because Christ has already overcome. So we can look at things better than what they are. And the way things are don't always get to tell the whole story about us. Because God sees the inside. He looks at the heart. Man just looks on the outside. Be encouraged. Things are still looking up for you. God is still on his throne. And the best is always yet to come with Jesus. He goes on and he says, For know and recognize this, every sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then that seems harsh. And here's, let me rephrase it for you in a way that's, that's true to our language about what he's trying to say. He's like, I want you to know this. I want you to know that every person that practices sexual immorality or is greedy or does anything impure, they're idolaters. In other words, they worship that instead of God. Remember, it's in the context of that worship, that pagan worship that he's talking about, yet it still carries over to be applicable to us today. And he says, anybody that participates in those things and worships those things, those things become a filler to the need that only God is supposed to be able to fill. Those people will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And, and what's interesting about that is it doesn't say that they're not a part of the kingdom of God. It says they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why? Let's talk about this practically. Why? See, we're so quick to judge who's out, not just say, okay, you're in, but there's no inheritance here for you. It's not that you're not following Jesus. It's that there's no inheritance in this kingdom for you. Because you're not putting anything into it, so how can you get anything out of it? That's the point. The point is, if I sow sexual immorality, that's what I'm going to have to reap, the consequences of that. If I sow, or if I plant, let's put it that way, if I plant greediness, I'm going to reap greediness. That's what I'm going to get back out of it. I'm going to continue to be greedy because the inheritance that I would have in the kingdom of God, I will not be able to reap. And the reason I won't be able to reap it is because I didn't sow or plant generosity. 
I planted greediness. But when I plant generosity, it comes back around. What you put out will eventually come back around. Call it karma. Call it sowing and reaping. Call it uh, whatever you want to call it. What goes around comes around. But what you put into it, you will only and always get out of it. So therefore, if you're not investing into the kingdom of God by imitating God in his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or here he says framing everything with gratitude, practicing purity, not impurity. If you just, when you live good, you will get good. It is what it is. And your inheritance will be what you have invested. It's hard to transform a world that you're imitating. And when you imitate it, you're not transforming it. And if you don't transform the world you live in and have a positive influence on the people around you that God has entrusted to you, then they won't be the inheritance that you will, re that you will be rewarded in the kingdom of God. What you put into it, you will get out of it. And then he goes on and says this. He said, let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. And therefore, don't become partners. Don't become their partners. For you once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light, there's that fruit, consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. So don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And what he's saying is this. He's saying that God will punish those who are wicked. See, we often think we have to fight every battle for God. There are people in the world, you and I both know, that, that when we can talk about how God loves them, and God does love all people. But it doesn't mean that justice goes unserved. It doesn't mean that evil is still not punished. Like there's a price to pay for terrorism. When someone does something hurtful to a child, there's a price to pay. Evil will go punished. And just because God loves you, and just because God loves them doesn't mean that they still don't have to harvest what they planted. See, if you plant evil, the fruit you will receive is darkness. And we are light. Therefore, when we put light into something, it exposes it, it makes it more beautiful, and it shows the true character of what it really is. Like, there might be a piece of furniture that looks really great in bad lighting. That when you light it up, you're like, oh, I didn't see all the blemishes before. See, light exposes. Light shows the true character of what was there all along that was trying to be concealed in darkness. And that's why light is truth. And when truth comes to the surface, it exposes every flaw. Which is why when we come in contact with light, come in contact with the truth of who Jesus is, it exposes all of our flaws and causes us to address them and then to walk into the light of who he is and the truth of who he is. And that's where conviction comes in. Because we're convicted about all the flaws when we come into the light. And it's not that God doesn't love us with our flaws. It's that God wants to restore us to a beauty that only our flaws 
can attribute to of this mark was this. And when I refinished it, it became even more beautiful. What was meant to harm it actually ended up working to improve the character and the nature of it. And so that's what he means when he's talking about this is those who do put in evil and plant evil, that's their inheritance that they're, that they're going to receive is the darkness that comes back on them from that. And although God loves them and although God has a plan and a future for them too, what they planted, they still have to harvest. And I want that to be true for you on the other end of the spectrum, like we talked about in the verses before. That when you live well, and you live with integrity, and you live in the light, and you live in truth, you are the light of God. And when you live as such, and you plant that into other people, and you plant that into the world, and you plant that into your life, you will have not just an inheritance in the kingdom of God, but you'll have a beautiful harvest here on earth that looks a lot like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll see you next time.